Okay, morning everyone. Morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a privilege to be here. Um, it was lovely speaking to Kevin earlier this week and just the reception during the week messages and this morning it's been so warm. So thank you so much. I know you guys don't know me at all. I could be anyone. Um, I must admit, I didn't see any signage outside, so we, we drove in. It's like, what if this isn't the Josh Jen congregation? And in the pre-meeting, someone prayed for Eugene. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. Um, but yeah, just a little bit about me. So, so I'm not a complete stranger, but my wife is here, Jessica. Uh, we've been married for 13 years. Uh, I've been part of Auction Life Church in Port Elizabeth for 17 years. Joined there my first year as a student. Uh, I was a high school teacher for five years, mathematics mostly, and uh, then God called me just graciously into full-time ministry, initially more in the operations role, similar to what Phil has for you guys, and then about two years ago, um, some of you would know Lissetti Williams in Auction Life, he planted out in London, and so we took over that congregation out towards the west of P, and um, yeah, then September last year, uh, God started stirring our hearts, a couple of other people's hearts, and my wife and I planted a congregation in Dispatch, which is just about 30 k's outside P. Those of you who like rugby, you hear Dispatch, and you think Rassi Erasmus, you think Donny Gerber, and you're happy. Um, but yeah, we started that, and so we're toggling between the two and, and trusting that God will uh, just ra- raise up someone to, to lead one of those instead of us at some stage. And then um, I've been in Wellington, or we've been in Wellington this, this past week, just part of the Apostolic Advance. Uh, as I've kind of increasingly become involved with the work in Uganda. A bunch of churches opening up there. There's one guy has got about 170 churches under him, and he's saying, I want to be part of 412. Uh, So we were there in Feb, March, and we're going back in September. Um, So if you're keen to join, chat to me afterwards. Okay, it's good fun. It's hard work, but it's good fun. I've I've actually learned something about God, because um, many years ago I, I said to God, I'll do anything for you anything, but I won't be a pastor. And then uh, he tricked me into that. And then um, when I was a pastor, I was like, God, I, I'm, I'm, I see this church plant thing. It's just not for me. I, I just, it doesn't suit my personality. It doesn't suit anything in me. I'll do anything for you, but I won't do a church plant. And uh, then, then dispatch happened. So I've, I figured God out. So I've been praying, God, I'll do anything for you, but I won't drive a Ferrari. And I'm going to see what happens. I'll, I'll let you guys know. Okay. Okay. Well, I feel like uh, something I preached last week at, back home, and I've, I feel like God has something similar for you guys this morning. I'm going to try and hear his voice, and so I'm, I might shift things around as we go, so just be patient with me. But um, I, I, yeah, I've, I've heard you guys have been going through Colossians, and this is beautiful focus on Jesus, one of my, my favorite books. But I'm not going to preach from Colossians at all, but I think it'll tie in with where you guys are at as well. Um, but Jesus is a person we come around. He's the one we love. I, I love what we sang about the name of Jesus just now. And um, he's just fascinating. I love thinking about Jesus. I love thinking about what he was like and what he's like now. And, and so we obviously learn most about Jesus in the Bible. But what's interesting is we, we learn about Jesus when he's a baby. So the Gospels all have something about Jesus' baby, except for John. And then kind of when he's 30 again. So there's this, almost like nothing in between. Except for Luke. Luke in Luke 2 tells us something about when Jesus was 12 years old. He's the only guy. And it's a fascinating little story that actually helps us understand something about Jesus and I believe something about us. And we, you, you kind of would know this story. When, when Jesus' family, they, they're living in Nazareth, and for Passover, they go down to Jerusalem. 
So they're traveling down to Jerusalem. And uh, the gospel says that Jesus was 12 years old. Now, this is important. He's 12 years old. So if you know a little bit about the Jewish culture, 12, you, you transition from be being a boy to becoming a man. So before you're 12, you're kind of spending most of your time with the ladies. It's not that cool. And your parents are responsible for your behavior, which some parents here would shudder at that. I shudder at that for my own children. But if your child did something wrong, your parents were responsible for that. But then when you get 12, it shifts. You become responsible for your own behavior. And the biggest shift is, as a boy, you move from your mother to your father. And you become a partner in the family business. So we know for Jesus, his dad was a carpenter. So Jesus shifted to becoming a carpenter. But if we come back to this occurrence, so they're going down to Jerusalem. Um, and then they go back. And so after a day's travels, and the way the Jews traveled back then was the ladies would start out an hour before. You know why? So that when the men got there, the brides were already going, the societies were done. So it's, it's a, it was great for the guys, but maybe not so much for the ladies. But the men, so Joseph got to where they set up camp, and he's like, where's Jesus? And Mary says, like, I thought Jesus was with you. And it was an easy mistake to make because he's in this transitional phase. So there's a good chance, going to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled with his mother Mary, and then she thought, okay, now he's going to be with his dad. So when, they get, when Joseph gets here and Jesus is not there, he's like, where, are, where is he? If you've ever lost your child, it's a horrible feeling. We, you know, I, I remember, maybe I'm not going to tell, I don't want to embarrass my children, but when I was little, went to a checkers in PE, and my sister's a year and a half younger than me, we couldn't find her. You're going up and down the aisles. Have you had that before? Like you're going every aisle and you, you're sending that one there. Go to the bakery. You go to the... And eventually, after about five minutes, we found my sister. My mom was so relieved. And then the cashier gave her a sucker. And I was so upset. Because I was the one who was with my mom the whole time. I should get this sucker. So there's a bit of this. Like They couldn't find Jesus. And so they've traveled a day. And now they've got to go back to Jerusalem. So you travel another day back to Jerusalem. They look for Jesus everywhere. It takes him another day, three days, not knowing who Jesus is. Twelve-year-old boy, twelve-year-old young man. We know they find him in the temple. And Mary, she's, like, she's I mean, if you're a mother, you've, you've lost your son for three days. You're pretty upset. It's like, where, where were you? We were so anxious. And Jesus' response is so interesting. He says in Luke 2.49, he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Do you see what's happening? Jesus is becoming a man. And he's like, it's time to join my father's business. I'm going to become part of my father's business. And this is big. So Jesus, he sees his heavenly father. He says, I've got to be about the family business. But then, the incredible thing is that Jesus goes back to Nazareth. He leaves behind what he then saw as his father's business. And he joins his earthy father's business, Joseph. And he's with Joseph in a carpentry shop. I'll, can you imagine that? Jesus, the son of man, the one through whom all things exist, we heard in Colossians. The one for whom all things exist. The one who, who holds all things together. The one who created the trees that's chopped down that him and his father are now working on. 
Like there's Jesus in the workshop, watching Joseph as he, as he uses a chisel. How to hold a chisel, what angle. How to sand a piece of wood, not against a grain, with a grain. How do you put two pieces of wood together? Jesus learning all these little intricate details of carpentry. Jesus, a son of man, possibly getting a splinter in his finger. He's just learning from his father the whole time. But then when he was 30, he entered his heavenly father's business again. And there's something about Jesus that, that what he did with Joseph, he, Jesus did the same with the father, actually. Somehow, he, he saw what the father was doing. How the father cared for people. How the father loved people. How the father didn't sand against the grain with people, but with the grain. Jesus did this, and we read about this in John 5. John 5, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Beautiful, eh? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves his son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So Jesus was in the family business. And so he says he's so close with the father that whatever he sees the father doing, he does. Whatever he hears the father, he does. It's that closeness with the father. The family business. If you come to P and, you, and you're a cyclist, you'll go to Pfeiffer's Cycle Shop down in Summer Strand. And it's a guy called Wayne Pfeiffer who's been running that for years and years. And his son Brent's in our congregation. He's a son. He's in the family business. If you go to the cycle shop, you'll see the son, Brent. He's learned from his father. He's selling cycles. He's giving advice. He himself is a brilliant cyclist. I tell you what, if you are a son in the family business, everything is different. You're not just getting a salary at the end of the month. You know that this business is yours. That if this business goes under, you are stuck. I tell you what, Brent does not have a degree or anything. If Pfeiffer Cycles goes under... He's in serious trouble. <laughs> and so the way he does things is different. The way he pays attention to his, his father is actually quite sick at the moment. His father might actually pass away any time. And so the way he listens to his father is different. And so Jesus had the same with his father. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I believe that the father wants you and me to be in the family business. He's inviting us into the family business. He's saying the relationship that Jesus has with the Father and the, the way he runs his family affairs between the Son and the Father is the same with us. Exactly the same. He wants to do the same. And I'll, I'll tell you why I, th why I say that. When Jesus started his public ministry, it wasn't a solo mission, hey. Well, his first thing was to call 12. He brought 12 into the family business. So Jesus in the family business. He gets 12. He says, you guys are part of it. You're part of the family business. We're going to extend the kingdom. Us together. Jesus didn't need to do that. He could have set up some other system. He could have just built everything around himself. Just have adherents, people who come to him, who look at him. But he chose 12. And you know what, what I love about the 12 he chose? He chose 12 Dorfkopper. He, he didn't choose 12 that are, he, he chose fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, a guy who was like a rebel. 
Probably the most qualified guy was Judas. And that didn't work out so well. So he chose 12 nobodies. And so if you're going like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough to be part of the family business, you're perfect. You're perfect. He's chosen me. He's chosen you for some reason. I don't know why, but he does it. And then he doesn't stop with the 12 disciples because the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is go and make disciples. So he's telling his 12, like, I've brought you into the family business. Now you 12 go out, bring others into the family business. This family business needs to grow. It can't just be me and these 12. It needs to be more. And he says, go and do the, tell them to do what I commanded you. So the things that Jesus told the disciples to do, they then teach those other disciples who teach those disciples who teach those disciples. And 2,000 years later, here we are. And Jesus is saying, sons, daughters, you're part of the family business. The father wants that same relationship with you that he had with Jesus. And he wants to use you. He wants to, that, that to me is it's mind-blowing. If, if Jesus, if the father had to use me, if he somehow he was coerced into this, I would understand it. But it's the fact that he chooses to use me that gets me. That he chooses to use you. He looks at you and goes like, I see something in you. Come into the family business. Let's extend this. Let's grow this. David Paulson has this thing. It, it sounds almost like a quote from Will Marie. But he says, when it comes to God, or yeah, to come to God in us, without him, we can't do it. And without us, he won't do it. If you read through the scriptures. So without him, we can't do it. The family business. And without us, he won't do it. It's crazy. It's the logic of the father. <laughs> it's how good he is. And then Paul says, he says that the father gives us a spirit through whom we shout out, Abba, Father. This intimate word that Jesus used of his father he says, we get to use it. The Spirit does it in us. And then he says something mind-boggling. He says, we are co-heirs with Christ. Have you read that before? I, I still don't understand it. I'm just, at this stage, my, I'm just still like in awe of this verse. Co-heirs means what Jesus inherits from the Father, somehow I'm inheriting the same thing. Somehow. Somehow when the father looks at the son and he looks at me, he's got the same love. And Jesus prayed this in John 17. He says that the love, he's praying to the father, with which you love me, father, may be in them and I in them. The same quality of love that the father has for Jesus. He says, I'm putting in you. I've got that same love for you. And so the father wants to, he, he loves you. He, he wants to have you in the family business. He's not saying you must be there. He's saying you're a son. I want to bring you into the family business. Maybe I, I was thinking about this story now in worship to illustrate something of um, the beauty of being in this kind of partnership with the father in the family business. Uh, at our home, we've got a, a driveway that goes around the back of the home, and we normally park our car at the back because there's a bit of um, shade there. And this happens every now and then. So I, I open the gate, and as I drive in, if my daughter, my youngest daughter, Jalen, is there, sometimes she'll run to me and she says, stop, 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 stop. And when she does it, I know what's coming. And then, so I stop, and she runs around to the side of the car. And I've got to open the door, and she climbs in. She's on top of my lap. And she's like, okay, I'm going to drive the car. And so she sits on my lap, 
She's five. Her, she's too short for her feet to get to the pedals. She's got her hands on the steering wheel. My feet are on the, on the pedals. So we've got an automatic, so this is brake and, and fuel. And my hands are on the steering wheel, normally on, on top of her hands. So, okay, cool, let's drive. And then we start driving, and then at the house, we've got a turn, like a tight 90-degree turn. So, okay, turn, Jalen, turn. And she's turning, but her arms aren't strong enough to do a tight turn. So I'm, I'm turning with her, and I'm, I'm, I'm controlling the, the pedals, and then we stop. And then she gets out of the car, and she runs inside. I drove the car! I drove the car! Did she drive the car? Yeah, she did, but she didn't. And that's what the father, when it happened that one day, I, was, I just, the father just dropped something in my heart of, this is what it's like for us. When we're in the family business, we can't do it, but we can. But you've got this incredibly good, strong father. His hands are on yours. Your feet can't reach your pedals. If Jalen were to wake up at midnight, grab the car key, and go and try and drive, she'd be able to put her feet in the pedals, but not get to where she can, st- it would be a night, it would be a disaster. It's the same with us. If you try and do it on your own. But somehow, in God's mercy and grace and love and glory, when we partner with Him in the family business, and you see someone, you're involved in someone's life, and the guy, he's breaking through into more. And at the end, you go like, I did it! And the father's going, yeah, you did, but you didn't. But it's beautiful. And he shares somehow some of that glory with you. And we go, God, it's, it's for your glory. And it's something of that. As we come into the family business, how the father deals with us. It's good, eh? He's so good. He's just so good. Let's look at John 14, 12. Because it still might sound just too good to be true that the father would bring us into the family business. But Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. Now, this is big because you might have gone so far. Okay, well, that was all for the disciples. But Jesus could have said you. He didn't have to say whoever. He says, whoever. It means you and I fall under that whoever. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I mean, that, that should shake you a little bit. That the things that Jesus did, Jesus going like, guys, this is your, ceil- this is your floor. My ceiling was your floor almost, not quite. But the things I did, you're going to do greater things. And you know what the disciples actually did? Jesus never gathered big crowds to follow him. Very few people became his followers. At the heart of his ministry, the feeding of the 5,000, there was 5,000 men. There's probably like 20,000 people. That's a lot. At the end, how many of those followed him? Well, there were 12. But then at Pentecost, Peter, the guy who, who kept on betraying him and denying him, he preaches. And how many become followers? 3,000. Already, like a couple of weeks after Jesus, is crucified. They actually, in a sense, doing greater works than Jesus did. Peter raises, um, was it Peter? I think it was Peter who raised uh, Dorcas. He raised someone from the dead. And then later on, Paul, he sends handkerchiefs to someone. That person's healed. And so, so Jesus is saying, can be part of the business. The things I did whilst I was on earth, that's actually going to be nothing. Not nothing, but it's, you're going to do greater things. And he says, whoever believes, we all get invited into that. The same is happening. There are, today, millions of Christians across the world. This one guy in Uganda we work with, he's sending us messages weekly 
of people getting saved. In, in lockdown, he, uh, they had a tight lockdown in Uganda as well, couldn't go anywhere. And um, he got an opportunity to share on the radio. And this guy, his name is also Eugene. He lives in a rural part of Uganda where it's just, it's mud huts, not much in terms of electricity or water. Uh, and he got an opportunity to preach on the radio two or three times a week. And he grabbed the opportunity. They would see up to 100 people per week get saved. Just, and the, the way it would happen is people would, you make an altar call in a sense over the radio. People would phone in and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And he had some people working with him, they'd help facilitate that. And then they would say, well, where are you? And then if there was a church close by, connect them. If there's no church, okay, let's go plant a church. I mean, that's happening. This is a guy, like, I've, I've sat in, this, in his house, this is a, and I get weekly WhatsApp. So he's going, so many people got saved. He, he sent me a photo of a guy that walked into their church meeting, completely deranged, like one of these guys who live on the streets. He's completely lost his sense of sanity, and you can see from the way he's dressed. And he came into the meeting, they prayed for him, and he's completely normal. <laughs> the family business is still going on, and he wants to call all of us into that. And he's got a specific place for each of us. As you see what the Father is doing, and you do it, he calls you into the family business. When, when I came, I, I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a Dutch Reformed church. And so whenever I tell my testimony, I don't, I don't quite know when to say I, I got saved. But when I was in San 9, grade 11, went to like a Christian festival. At some stage, some of you might know Louis Britz, hey, the Afrikaans gospel guy. And um, he was leading this time. At one stage he said, and, and uh, the Spirit was a saying, I'd never experienced the Holy Spirit before. Uh, but I knew there was something different here. And he said, guys, you look at this room. There's about a thousand teenagers here. Stats say that in about 10 years, only 10% of you will still be following Jesus. And if you say, that's not me. I want to follow Jesus with everything. Just stand up and shout the name of Jesus. And my heart, you know that when your heart's like beating. And you, I must do this. I must do this. And so I turned to my friend, Johannes Swanepoel. I said, Johannes, come on, do it. And you, my friend Johannes Swanepoel, in all his wisdom, said, Eugene, in with Selfton. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, you're right, you're right. And I stood up and shouted the name of Jesus. And something inside of me, just, there was this fire, this, this Jesus has done everything for me, and, and how he's calling me, and he calls me to be part of it. And, and everything in me, I just wanted to do whatever Jesus wanted me to do. I just want to follow him. And so my first year after school, I, the way I phrased it back then was like, I just want to pay you back somehow, which was a bit doff because I can't pay him back. But something inside of me just wanted to, once I've seen him, once I've experienced his goodness, you just, you just want to do something. And so I joined this Year of Your Life Christian uh, ministry, and I just, we did camps with kids. I just wanted to follow Jesus. And I was, I was convinced I was going to be a missionary, or just so I can follow Jesus. I just want to, I just, I'm part of the family business. He calls me in. So I love, like even watching TMT guys, and we've got something similar at Auction Altitude, these young scholies coming in. <laughs> and then they go preach in school and guys get saved. They've only been saved for a month. God brings them in. He uses them. And so even when I did that for three years, I took three gap years. And um, <laughs> I told my mom, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And she said, over my dead body. And so she said, you're going to go study. <laughs> And, bef and I thought, uh, earlier, a year or two earlier, I started for filling in forms to study engineering at Sunbosch. I had good grades at school, and I could have gotten in relatively easily, and that was like a good career, engineering. Um, I just felt God say, no, people will be 
you want to focus on? And so I applied to become a teacher and study teaching. And it was just because I'd seen Jesus, and I just want to follow him. I don't care where, I don't care what, I don't care how. I'm in the family business. I want to, I want to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. And so I, that's what I did as a teacher. And what, if you're a teacher, oh my goodness, God can use you in so many ways. The one time I was coaching a soccer team, this Afrikaans boy, who's only played rugby, coaching a soccer team was great. I just picked a team and said, go play. And um, the guy was my defender in my, the second team. He had a hip injury and he was m- missing a match. And I really needed him. So I was like, okay, let's pray for healing because I need you to play. No. I just knew there was a chance for him to encounter something of God's life. And so I was able to pray for him. You know, he didn't get healed, but he encountered something of Jesus. It's a family business. A guy doesn't know God, doesn't know much about Jesus, and he encounters something of Jesus. And, and that's just been my, my, my desire in life. It's just been to go, I, I don't care about my future to some extent. I care about the family business. Um, in 2009, we got engaged. Uh, we'd, we'd been good friends for four years. And then um, started dating. We dated for a short while. Got engaged. And somebody during our engagement, I think we were actually with Jess's dad, uh, parents at the anniversary, Wave Crest on the Wild Coast, and we were there. And, and I'd always told God, like, I, I will just follow you wherever. I'll just do whatever. And I felt like I needed to be upfront with Jess about this as well. Uh, I, I think God was also kind of talking to me at that stage. And I, just, I came to Jess and I said, this is me. Like, uh, you know me. We knew each other well. But my, my highest priority is the family business. I didn't use those terms. But. And so if God calls us somewhere, we're going to go. And, and I actually, I've had some prophetic words. And, and I think God's going to call us at some stage somewhere that's a little bit yucky. Like it's not going to be a nice place. It's going to be dangerous. If God calls us to, to the Democratic Republic of Congo where there's permanent war, we're going to go. Or, I didn't say it in that way. That sounds a bit harsh. It's like, I want to follow Jesus first. I'm saying this to you because if we go to an African country like that, it's going to be more dangerous for you than for me. If you're a lady in the DRC, it's more dangerous for you than for me. So I, I just, I mean, how's that for romantic engagement talk? And you know what Jess said? She said, I know. And that was it. Because <laughs> the family business is all that matters. And we get to be part of the family business. The Father's called us into the family business. So, okay, we've, I've mentioned the family business, but what on earth is a family business? We kind of touched on it here and there, but it's, it's really the kingdom. That's the simplest way of explaining it. And the kingdom is where Jesus reigns. Andrew Murray says, there's no kingdom without a king. <laughs> so where the king reigns, if, if you read in the, I read in the Afrikaans, Nieuwe Levene Vertaling, Matthew 16, no, Matthew 6, die koningsheerskapai. I like that term, koningsheerskapai. It's where, where the king reigns. That's a kingdom. So the kingdom is a family business. And the thing is, the kingdom, the family business, is all about people, if you read it. Everywhere it's about people. It's, it's about the Father seeing what people need. And then we see that and we do it. I love the story of the paralytic. The paralyzed man, he's got these friends and they break through the roof. Can you imagine you being the owner of that house? Like You'd be pretty bummed. Like, you're sitting there, you're hosting Jesus. He's teaching, people are there, and all of a sudden like someone breaks through your roof. 
I wonder if what they did after, did someone come and fix it? Or? But they break through this roof and they lower the guy. It's, it's so obvious what is necessary here. A guy's paralyzed. He's on a stretcher. They lower him. He can't get up. Jesus, just heal this guy. But you see, Jesus was in touch with the Father the whole time. And his heart's for people. And he sees this man who, who's saying, heal me. But Jesus knows what he really needs. He says what? Your sins are forgiven. He gives him what he really needs. Because Jesus is all about people. And you know what? Then there's a bit of an, a, story, a story between him and the Pharisees, and he does heal him. But the healing is almost like an extra. It's like the dessert. But Jesus knew what the Father was saying. Like what this man needs, forgiveness. The kingdom, the family business is all about people. It's all about people. Let's read Matthew 9 together. This, this passage of Scripture from 35 to 38 has just been burning in my heart the last two or three months. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is going about, he's, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's, he's, he's healing people. And then there are these crowds, and he, he sees the crowds. We all live with crowds every day, like this might be a crowd to you. But there comes a moment when, when you see, when you're part of the family business, and you see what the Father's seeing, that suddenly you see the crowds. And when you see the crowds, when you see what the Father sees, you start feeling what the Father feels. He says, Jesus had compassion for them. Somehow he, see the, he saw these crowds and something in his heart was stirred up. And then he did what the Father was doing. So in the family business, this, this is a great pattern. If you're part of the family business, see what the Father sees. Feel what the Father feels. And then do what the Father's doing. And you know what? We can ask that. We can pray that. You can pray, Jesus, just help me see what you're seeing. I'm, I'm, see my, I want to see the colleagues at work. I want to see the guys at school with me through your eyes. Let me see how you see. Because I'm in the family business. My friend Brent, he, he's got to see the products and the people, who, the clients who come in through his father's eyes. And his father wants it. Our heavenly father wants to give us his eyes. And then to feel what he feels. This week in Wellington, at, at one stage we were worshipping, and I, just, I turned to the left, and, and a guy, I don't know relative, he was a good friend of mine, I'd spoken to him for five minutes, and I knew he was going through a little bit of a, a changing time, but he didn't give me any details. And as I turned and looked at him, I just started crying. <laughs> and when that happens, I, I know it's not me. Like somehow, I saw this guy, I didn't see him, I, I saw him. I felt something of the Father. And then I could go over to him and say, I just want to pray for you. And I started praying, and as I was praying, I didn't really have good words or good prayers, but I was just, as I was praying for him, the crying became like a bit of an ugly cry. <laughs> Which isn't very manly. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know if I like this. 
I even did the double clutch, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Father, something else. Let me feel like angry. Your anger for this guy. I felt the Father's compassion. And I prayed. I tried to pray, but it wasn't great words. But I felt, the, I, felt what the, I could say to him, what, what I'm feeling is what the Father's feeling for you. And that communicates something to his heart. And he was in tears. And it's a family business. Without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. God could have touched that guy by himself. He could have given him a download. He says, Eugene, I want you to. And he, he lets me feel what he feels. And then, I, and then this guy feels what I feel, what the father's feeling. And it, it's a family business. And the father just wants to bring us into the family business, man. To see what he sees. To feel what he feels. And then to do what he does. He, do, he does. He does. <laughs> I, I've, I've said before I'm African. So, I mean, any grammar problems. See, my sculpty. It's my Irish sculpt. In the this, in this, in this story that Jesus tells, he's, he talks about the laborers. Sorry, actually, I forgot. The, the big thing, that Je- one of the things that Jesus saw, he looked at the sheep and he saw that they were helpless and harassed. That thing s- just stood out for me. Like when you, when you get Jesus' eyes and you go, helpless, harassed. And it wasn't just the unsaved guys. It's actually some of our brothers and sisters are helpless and harassed. Like even as we plant this church in dispatch, we started off with 10 guys. And it's slowly grown to about 40. I, I mean, dispatch is a bit like, it's a bit like Nazareth. Like, can anything good come from dispatch? <laughs> it's this industrial town. It's all built around VW. That's in Utenag. And there were people there who were just desperate for the life of God. Desperate for the life of God. This is one young guy who's come in. He, he was helpless and harassed, man. He's like 21 years old, studying. He's a tall guy. He's taller than me. But he's a, he takes part in bodybuilding competitions. So he is built. He's like intimidating. And, and he's, it was about six weeks ago, he came in. He gave his life to Jesus. And his life is so different. It's, it's, like, it's like seeing the substance of the life of Jesus. He's just going like, he fills me. He fills me. And one of his refrains, the thing he keeps on saying is, I feel so small. I feel so small. I feel like nothing. Like Jesus touched him. He was harassed and helpless. But that's a family business. Those harassed and helpless people, Jesus calls in and says, come, I want to make you part of the family business. He's so beautiful to see. When I get, when I get back now in a, in a week and a half's time, he's going to get baptized. I hope I'm strong enough to lift him out of the water. I don't, I, it's a family business, man. There are some dangers in the family business. Or if, yeah, just as I was thinking about this, I think most of us know I'm part of the family business, but somewhere along the line, instead of being, becoming a son in the family business, you can become just a slave, just a laborer, just like someone who does his job, gets his salary. It's easy to get a little bit disillusioned. So if, if God says this, I'll just do it. Um, my Samuel, yeah. So Samuel, he's... Um, if, if he's done something wrong, he, he'll always try and explain and justify. So we've kind of tried to say, oh, he's coming back. I won't tell the story. I'll embarrass him. But it's so easy to become a slave. Just, I'm just going to do what I need to do. God says I must do this. Okay, I'll do it. I'll just do it out of obedience. And the reason you get there, and I've gotten there often, is I've lost sight of the Father. 
I lost sight of the fact that he's invited me into the family business, that the kingdom is worth so much more. I mean, Joe was talking about earlier this week about a scripture about where that pearl of great price or the treasure, that if you find it and you see the value of it, everything else pales into comparison. So it's not just like, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to die to myself. It's, no, no, you're dying to yourself, but you're getting something better. It's not saying it's easier. Jesus said, foxes have holes and, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head when someone said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. It's not going to be easy, but it's better. It's so much better. The other, the other dangers, instead of becoming just being a, a member or a son in the family business, you can become a silent partner. You know silent partners in a business. Guys have invested some money, and in a couple of years, they just want some money back. They're not part of any decisions. They're just hoping you do a good job. And you can come, come just a little bit disillusioned, saying, like, I'm part of the family business, but I'm a silent investor. Like, you guys, you're passionate. Go for it. And I believe Jesus wants to bring healing even there today. Okay. Let's read one more scripture. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Jesus talking, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, if you're part of the family business, the Father's going to take care of you. You seek the interests of the family business first. You seek the reign of the king first. You seek the kingdom first. He says, don't be anxious. I'm not, I'm not naturally an anxious person, but in the last two months, I've struggled a bit with anxiety with some of the stuff with the church. And it's a horrible thing. Like you have this, this like knot in your stomach when you think about something. And you're trying to think about something else, and you're saying, like, okay, I'm going to force myself to think here. And, and your, your mind just comes back to this thing you're worried about, concerned about. Your, your focus becomes that thing. That's what happened with me. And Jesus is saying, just stop it. He's saying, I'm going to take care of your food, your clothes. And if he's going to take care of those small things, won't he take care of everything else? Your career, stop being anxious about it. Your, your, your retirement, Jesus is going to take care of you. Your, your children, your children, Jesus will take care of them. I'm, I'm not saying you must, if, in terms of your career, take the, take the or apply for a... Um, Promotion. Climb the ladder if, if that's what God has for you. But if that promotion is going to take you out of town two weeks in a month, maybe think about it again. Because what's more important, your career or the family business? I know sometimes there's overlap. I'm not saying your, your, your promotion is evil. Your retirement. Get, get your RAs going. Go to this thing that uh, Manette was talking about. I've got a provident fund, so I'm not, I'm not knocking retirement things. You guys are moving into a new building. I think it's already been paid for. But if there's a building fund, like call, and you've got nothing, be ready to draw from that retirement funds you've got, your investments, because it's a family business first. Your children, that New Zealand visa or New Zealand passport is not as important as you think. They'll be okay without it. We've got children ranging, four children ranging from, from 5 to 16. We know God is, is taking care of them because we put the family business first. 
Your father will take care of you in the family business. I'll end with a story. Um, we've got a young guy in the dispatch congregation, and what's been so interesting is I thought in dispatch, when you turn 18, you kind of, you duck. You kind of go somewhere else, go study somewhere else, go find jobs. It was actually a bunch of young guys. And so the church growth has come through guys under 25. So we suddenly have a church that's about 70% under 25, actually under 23. Um, when I counted this, at the moment we've got approaching 20 guys who are that age. And there's one, one young guy who's been like a fire starter. Like he's been inviting his friends, his old school friends. He's in his third year. And so he's finishing up this year. And so what he's going to do next year is he's lost both his parents in the space of a year and a half. So he's living by himself in the house here in dispatch. And so he's, it's coming up for the, the practical work. And so um, he's got a job with a top finance company. It's a national company. So he's doing a three-week shadowing. And they came to him and said, we, we want to do something in Somerset East, which is about, I think, an hour and a half away. We're going to open a branch there, and we want you to go. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity. This is, like, you can build your career. And he came to me, and he just said, like, what do you think, Eugene? Yes, and it's like one of those moments you're trying to hear God's voice and try not to get too emotional, emotionally attached almost. But I, I, know what, I know the family business is most important. I said, this guy, like, Oh, you can go. I, I'm not saying it's going to be wrong for you to go. But you know what? I think you've got to stay in dispatch, actually. Because this is, look, do you see these guys? And his heart's burning for them. He's got this pastoral gift on his life. and He's loving them. He's taking care of them. I think, I think you must actually stay. I just love his response. He just went, oh, you're right. If I don't have a job for the first six months of next year, I'll be okay. He's already gone there. He's already gone like, the family business is most important. That's what matters. And, and you might go like, Eugene, that's so controlling. No, 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 it's not. It's not. I, I've, in the first place, he, he hasn't made the final decision. And I've said to him, it's your decision, but this, I don't think you should go. But I'm not being controlling. It's because I'm seeking the family business first, and he is as well. I know his heart is for that. And so if the family business, if the kingdom is here, like, be here. And... I'm interested in eternal rewards for him. He could go, maybe God wants to break on the summer cities. I don't know. He, but he could go build a career there and become a CEO or something like that and lose out on so much eternal reward. And so I'm actually looking for the best for him and for the family business, and they overlap. And it's a joy. He's not going, he didn't walk away from there going like, oh. he's going like, What? Eugene thinks I can play a role in the family business. He's like so stoked. And that's what we get to be part of. Can we stand together, friends? So when I think about the family business, the father's business, what do I think about? I think about people who are dead in their sin, going to hell, but they get convicted of sin and they come to Jesus. I think of people who are broken, sore, helpless, arrest, coming to Jesus and finding healing. I think of marriages, showing the beauty of Jesus and his bride, as wives humbly submit and husbands love their wives as Jesus loved the church. I think of people who are sick and struggling with injuries, being healed physically by the power of Jesus. I think of people who are demonized, being delivered in the power of the name of Jesus, after years of being captive. I think of dead people being raised back to life. 
I think of people laying down their lives for others. Let me close our eyes.